Hello, welcome to the First Intuition podcast. We are on our third special episode looking at the finance of different industries. So we, you may have listened to our football and finance um, forum, which for me was brilliant just to hear about the, the, the how finance impacts an industry that I love because I'm a, I'm a big football fan. So that, that, was, that was brilliant. We then followed up with fashion and finance. And um, as those of you that, that know the shirts that I wear know that I know very little about fashion. So it was brilliant to, to actually hear from some experts. And we did hear a, an absolutely fascinating discussion about views on the future of the high streets. And, you know, I, I was actually kind of blown away with some of the, the insight that we got there from people that were you know, really close to the ground in terms of the fashion industry. And this week we introduced experts from the world of food. So food and finance is our, our our next episode i'm running out of industries that begin with f to put before and finance um i'm i'm hopeful that i can get some guests from from ann summers for the next one but failing that i think i might have to move to some other kind of alliteration for for the next for the next series of um a series of podcasts now first of all i'd like to introduce the the guests that i have so i'm joined with four um, amazing guests, all from different industries, all that work with food, all from different sizes and, and kind of different different sectors of the food industry. And I'm going to ask each of them to introduce themselves to you. And I, what I'm, I'm going to ask is um, for each person just to introduce who you are, um, who's the company that you work for, what do they do? And then something that I'm really keen to find out about is you know kind of a, a bit about what you as a business kind of have as objectives and, and you know kind of beyond the idea of oh we're here to make money and it's um something that I, I i spoke with another food manufacturer that's that's local here a few weeks ago and it was um the tip tree jam company and you know their one of their commercial um kind of managers said to me that we care about making great products and you know that's the, the at the heart of what we do. And they said that one of their products is um, it said that no one would ever choose to make this product, but we make it because it's James Bond's jam. And I just love that. As it, I'm making this because it's James Bond's jam. Um, so you know, for each of you, I'm going to kind of ask a little bit about you know, who you are, who you work for, and what you stand for. So first of all, I'm going to go to Ian. Ian from well, you can introduce where you're from, Ian. Hi, David. Yeah, my name's Ian Malthouse. Um, you might recognise my surname. It's the same as yours. We're brothers. Um, yeah, I work for a company called Pilgrims UK. Uh, we're involved in the manufacture of pork products. Um, and that is right from the farm right through to, uh, to, to production and going out into retail, retail sites. Um, I've been at this company for about four years. I've previously worked, had another four year stint at another food um, production company. So I know a bit about food. Um, what we do in this site, particularly, I work in Linton, just south of Cambridge, and we manufacture pork products and specifically quite a lot of sausages. Um, we've got two main customers, uh, that's uh, Co-op and Waitrose. Um, so, yeah, that's that's pretty much what the site's about. We also, as David likes to ask me about, we also do pigs in blankets for Christmas. So I spend a lot of time uh, producing those. Um, in terms of what our business kind of stands for, if you like, outside of obviously, you know, making a bit of money, which is what us finance people are all about. Um, we, we are obviously very conscious of uh, the welfare of our animals. Uh, we obviously work with WHOs and co-op, both of which have got concerns over that. So that's something that's very important to us, keeping up 
welfare, whether that's a free range pig, whether that's a organic pig or whether that's just an outdoor bred, bred pig, either way, looking after our, our animals, which obviously sadly will end up end up as um, going into a pork product. Um, the other things that I would say that we are particularly concerned about, um, obviously, environment. Um, we are aiming to become a net zero manufacturer. Um, we've got a lot of projects going into things like um, look, looking after greenhouse gases, whether that's uh, solar panels or whether that's looking at the environmental impact of our packaging, etc. And then finally, um, you know, shout out to the employees. We are very strong on our brand values. We have values days. We push those values looking after each other is really, really important from an employee point of view. Excellent. Thanks for that, Ian. And um, you, you obviously know me very, very well, and you know that pigs in blankets are, are probably my favourite part of Christmas dinner. So um, I, I have a massive interest in the continued success of your business. But I, I think for the last two years, the centrepiece of my Christmas day eating has not been the pigs in blankets. It's actually come from our next guest, Perry, um, who I, I would say is probably my COVID hero in that he kept me going through some very, very dark days when we were in isolation with, with his business. So, Perry, welcome. Um, do you want to kind of introduce kind of who you are yeah. and who you work for? Thanks. Um, yeah, um, I didn't know that. That's that's really nice that you, that you said that. Yeah, so I, I'm Perry from Brennett and Rind. We're based in Cambridge and our primary function if you like is British artisan cheese so um, in terms of our objectives in life it's to support British artisan cheese producers but also we're quite different where we're kind of I suppose pioneers in the British artisan cheese industry where we utilize something which is called affinage. Affinage is a French word it means to refine um, and essentially, for, for, for us who, who don't want to learn French, it's cheese maturing. So we built our maturing rooms here in Cambridge, where I use selective pressures such as temperature, humidity, time, uh, washing the cheese, brushing, turning, um, to make the cheese much better. Um, and to really look at it and cut and pack, send that to, to restaurants and send that to, to establishments that care about artisan cheese um, and, and people at home. And uh, yeah, that's our sole purpose here to, to, to continue supporting um, that, that phenomenal industry, which is becoming more and more important to people's day to day lives. Um, and in terms of when you're doing something about passion and love, everything kind of falls behind that in terms of our employees. They're, they're all cheeseheads. And, uh, you know, some of them, arguably, you could pay them in cheese and they wouldn't mind. Um, so 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 that's what we're, we're all about. And we we want to be the best at it. And, you know, the, the big news for us this year was we entered in Affiner of the year and we got cheese when it was three months old matured it for 12 months the cheese was called Priscilla um utilizing these techniques that we uh, maturing cheese and uh, uh, uh we we came up tops and uh, I, I won so I was crowned UK's first Affiner of the year so that's a big tick box in what we do does that does that cover everything David is, is that, that's that? that's perfect yeah. Harry and um I uh, say so you, 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 your business supplied me with with a, a few boxes of uh, mystery cheese over that COVID period. And um, last Christmas, your your box that that had the um, I think it was the truffle free in it um, was it went down extremely well with the family, and it yeah really was a highlight. So yeah, I, I want to thank you for doing that. And um, oh, your videos are 
are, are on uh, are on YouTube where you um, you you talk about the cheeses that you've got and you kind of uh, go through like a tasting with them, which again. You know, you can order your cheese and do that, which, which I love doing with with my wife. We'll sit down and we'll have some cheese and we'll go through your tasting notes and then realise all the things that we miss. But um, I think that w- when it does come to 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 YouTube, our, our next guest, I think, documents almost his entire life on YouTube because um, every I just get the little messages on my phone that just ping up and says um, that um, that James has just released another. Uh, another video so James welcome welcome to the um, to the podcast do you want to give a brief intro yeah thanks for having me David yeah I'm James um I own uh, the Rossi ice cream company um it's a business um <clears throat> I bought 15 months ago now just as we was um coming out of the, the craziness and uh, the business is circa 100 years old um and uh, we still make ice cream using packs of butter um, full fat cream and uh, whole milk, uh, which means there is sugar in our ice cream, but less than cheap ice cream, should I say, because we use natural fats really to get the flavor up. Um, and since I've been buying it, we've rebranded it. Um, we've invested a ridiculous amount of money in brand new uh, factory so that we can ramp up production. We supply co-op, we supply Asda and Morrison's and a thousand independent customers that own farm shops and butchers and um, independent shops. Um, but I suppose one of the big things that we've been focusing on heavily is supply and leisure businesses, um, because that's really where uh, my core business is. I own a couple of zoos and some day nurseries and indoor play centers. Um, so we're actually, we're actually the biggest customer of our ice cream business. Um, we spend about a quarter of a million pound a year on ice cream before we bought it from Unilever. And we've now brought that in house um, and we're making it with the best ingredients we can get our hands on. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's us in a, in a nutshell. We're a tiny little loss making ice cream company. When I bought it, um, we've tripled it in size within 12 months. Um, and uh, I see within 10 years, we'll be a sort of a 10 million revenue business making a couple of million quid profit, hopefully. Uh, that's the plan just on the ice cream side. I think that everyone that I, sp- I speak to that, that talks about going for, for a day out in South End, it's always, I'm going to South End and I have a Rossi's ice cream. And yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that, that's kind of where I think everyone I know around here kind of knows that brand from. And I was actually in London um, just before Christmas and there was, it was a big uh, accountancy exhibition. So for me, it was really exciting. I was buzzing around, seeing loads of people. And there was, there was it, you know, a lot of the, the firms there try and hide where they're from because they want to be, you know, available to everyone across the country. So they don't want to say, oh yeah, I'm, I, you know, I'm based in, in yeah. Chigwell because they want to appeal to everyone. So there's no addresses and stuff like that. But there was one guy there that did this. It was a big payroll company and um, he was giving out Rossi's ice cream to and um, people Man, that went through. He made a smart and, decision. <laughs> and I, I just stopped and said, you've met it. And it was like, yeah, yeah, just outside South End. And to go, how did you know? And I was like, yeah, it's the Rossies. Um, yeah. So it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I know from being here and I, I, I've just seen over the last year, the branding has got bigger. And, you know, I was at the cricket um, last, a couple of weeks ago and bigger yeah. Rossies, um, Rossies van was there with a queue virtually yeah. all the way around the ground. So no, it's brilliant yeah. to see that, you know, something is just well, exploded uh, out of it. I was, that, that's one of the reasons why I bought it because of that 
100-year-old brand nostalgia that you talk of, but it's a truly entrepreneurial business. Uh, the guy that started it, Angosto Rossi, I mean, just a quick little story for you. He left Italy moved to Glasgow to make his fortune because the British economy was better than the Italian economy in the 20s and 30s. Then went on holiday to Southend-on-Sea because people actually used to do that. Um, Saw that no one was selling ice cream. So went from Italy to Glasgow, left Glasgow, then moved straight away within the same years um, uh, and set up an ice cream shop at 99 High Street Southend-on-Sea in the High Street. And yes, ladies and gents, that's um, the claim of the Rossi family that the 99 comes from Rossi because they opened their first door, 99 High Street in Southend-on-Sea. Now, we're trying to get verification if that's true or not, but it's a lie I like, and I'm trying to pump that lie further. I, I, I really hope that is true because everyone well, they're, else they're, 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 they're telling me it's true. So, you know, it's not me making it up. <laughs> That, yeah, I love that. I, I'm more than willing to, even if that's wrong, I'm more than yeah, willing to. Yeah, come on, let, let's let's spread it. It's a lie that draws a smile, and they're the lies that are okay, in my opinion. <laughs> Excellent. And our final guest is, is Jonathan. So welcome to the show, Jonathan. Hi, David. Sorry, took me a little while to find the unmute button. That's fine. Yeah, um, yeah uh, Jonathan Hayes. I uh, work for Whitworth Limited, so they're uh, dried fruit, nuts, seeds. Um, so we import we import from all around the world, um, and essentially we 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 have a branded business, no label business. So thirty, it's broadly thirty percent branded, seventy percent own label, um, and we're uh, business has been around since the eighteen hundreds, known. Up until quite recently, I'd say mostly for sort of baking ingredients and, and um, for, for cake mixes and so on and so forth. Um, more recently, venturing into uh, healthy snacking and, and, and effectively the, 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 the brand that we're promoting or trying to promote currently is, is more about well-being and um, eating healthily and, and uh, healthy lifestyles. So uh, that's, that's been the focus of the brand over the last um, over the last sort of four or five years, and uh, we're using various different methods of, of trying to um, tell that story to to the to the general public. So you, you know, uh, um, and for for an older an older business that has that sort of level of history, um, moving into uh, sort of using influencers and and using. A, a newer type of media to, to get that message across that's that's kind of where we are really excellent and i think that for me kind of growing up things like um the the, the, the kind of packaged dried nuts and fruits were either the ingredients that my mum used baking or yep. they were the things you ate at the pub you know, when it came to that nuts and things like that, where and you occasionally got the little boxes of raisins that you had in your lunchbox. Yes. Um, and that was about it. But now if I go into Tesco, Sainsbury's down the road, you've got a whole range of different snacks, whole range of different flavoured things that are all aimed at a healthy market. And that, that's not to even start thinking about the, you know, the bars and, you know, bizarre kind of types of crisp and things like that. So, you know, I've personally seen how that kind of industry yeah. has changed, yeah, definitely in my lifetime. Um, yeah. And yeah, it must be a real challenge if you're, you know, if, if yeah. your roots are in, this is the stuff we produce, you know, for people that are cooking. Um, but it is amazing when you go into a supermarket how much dried fruit and nuts there are. 
in terms of down that aisle, it's a massive yeah. aisle with a lot of stuff in there. So there must be a lot of turnover in there. Well, I mean, if we if we pursue down the route, I mean, the HFSS legislation that was due to come in this year that has been pushed back. If um, once that does actually come into force, that will actually force a lot of retailers to start promoting healthier snacking and 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 a healthier food industry. Um, so yeah, we yeah, I would expect to see it change quite a bit over the uh, over the next decade. Excellent. Well, that's our panel. Um, I, I've got a few things that I'm really kind of desperate to find out about, but I think that the first thing that I, I, most people want to know at the moment is um, it, it, what's happened to businesses now compared to where they were three years ago. So we've, we've had a pandemic. Um, businesses have had to adapt and they've had to change. And you know, a, a lot of people are interested in, well, what happened as a result of getting, going into that pandemic? What changed within your business? But now we're kind of out the other side. Is it back to the way we were before or are we you know, changed in the way that we operate our businesses? So uh, I'm actually going to go first to, to Perry on this one, because I know, Perry, you did you know, a huge amount of, um, of chat. There's a huge amount of change for you as we kind of went into COVID. So I don't know if you want to share what what happened with you. Yeah. Guys yeah so um it was i'm I'm guess i'm going to see a lot of uh, uh, nodding heads here it was just an awful time (laughs) it was uh absolutely one of the worst things that could ever happen to a food business we lost 98 percent of our business overnight which is just horrendous so as soon as and there was no support at that point or whatever we had all the stock on the floor um you know ready to go out and what we were doing was bespoke maturing for restaurants so their matured standards for specific chefs which other chefs or other people particularly may or may not like so we had an eye-watering amount of cheese in the maturing rooms no one to sell it to so we quickly uh, opened up a supermarket uh, where people could come in because we, we we realized that our local supermarkets were struggling with supply and yeah put it out there with people who just didn't know where we were or what we were about because we were heavily into wholesale at that point and yeah there was queues people turn up and yeah yeah like right out of the door and they wanted a little piece of kind of happiness and we'd take them into the maturing room select what cheeses they want and try to do that obviously in a massively covid safe way you know we had some local doctors who were helping us out because at that point no one really knew what covid was fully capable what it what it was um and then we realized that covid was definitely serious and it was here for a long term and we wanted to protect our staff so we had to shut that down and then we still needed to get cheese out the door so uh, uh, we set up an online business. I built a website in seven days. That's pretty much the, the same. There's some enhancements, but went at ryan.co.uk and started delivering parcels to people's homes. And we we realised that the, the difference with at home is that I can't be there to tell people why this cheese is great and why have I, I selected it. Um, so we started up the mystery cheese box, which probably should be named something different now, but the mystery cheese box. And that, that, that came with a video of me in the maturing rooms talking about the cheese or, or at some occasions, if you go all the way back, me in my garden or me in my house or, or whatever it was at that point, talking about what makes the cheese great, what I did with it. And we managed to, in a weird way, branch that gap 
between me being in people's front rooms and rather than face to face. And yeah, two years later, that's still going and it's stronger than ever. Um, the wholesale has come back. We, we lo- unfortunately lost a few people mm-hmm. in terms of, um, you know, customers who, who, who couldn't survive the onslaught that they were given. So our wholesale business is smaller, but the people that we've, re- you know, the, the restaurants that we've retained, we just have such a great relationship with now. Um, and that's what's really ph- phenomenal. And, and, and Rennet and Rind as its own brand has taken off. More restaurants want Rennet and Rind on their menus, um, which before we're just supplying the cheese how they wanted it and we didn't want credit for it. But now people see Rennet and Rind as just such a strong brand. And uh, yeah, that that's going through, and we're 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 on the up. Um, and there's you know challenges around the corner that we that we may or may not have with challenges right now. But yeah, I, I, I definitely wouldn't want to live those two years ever again, and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. <laughs> no, I, I think that that first that first portion of of kind of like mm. three, four, five months or so, when everything shut down, and you know every single business had to adapt in one way or another. And you know, I know for you know, I, I, you know, ninety-eight percent drop in your in your business just overnight is you know, unless you do something, that's a business gone. And there are businesses yeah. that, that didn't do anything that did sadly suffer. Um, but yeah. I, as I say, I, I would never have known about you if it wasn't yeah. for COVID. So I'm I'm really grateful. That's one good thing that's come out of it is that I I now have got a source of amazing cheese. Um, that I can have deliver to my house, so um, you know something good has has come out of it. But oh, you know, oh, oh, don't think de- that outweighs all the bad. <laughs> definitely, there's like two things, which is like one, the business strength, the the you know the Rennet and Ryan brand and what we have there, and that online presence growing and the our presence in restaurants growing, and also personal development. You know, putting yourself under that much hardship, that much pressure to think differently. Um, think outside the box, you know, get all these, you know, something that didn't exist, existed in seven days. Um, God, I, I'm so much better for it, you know, uh, you know, like sort of crushing, uh, you know, a, a, a gem, I suppose, a, a, and I've come out the other end. And I think everyone who, who's with us is is far more resilient than they've ever been. And we learned so much because we had to do all things that we didn't think that we would be doing in, in a business. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing that you 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 yeah. are able to do those things in a short space of time that you thought yeah. previously would take you years to, to actually yeah. even think about doing. But out of necessity, we, we actually managed to achieve kind of amazing things. But if we, yeah, well, I'm going to I'm going to just ask Jonathan a quick question because Jonathan, you're completely at the other end of things, and um, I, I was always really unsure with your, your kind of product, which is in the supermarkets. Did did what kind of impact do you see? Or did you see when COVID hit? Um, the complete opposite, to, to be honest. So uh, COVID, in terms of if it, in terms of sales and margin, were actually um, our sales improved significantly. So we had a thirty percent uplift um, because we're, we're we're supplying store cupboard materials basically into the into the major malts and. Um, you know, you know what it was like at the beginning of the pandemic. You could, you can get pasta, you can get rice, you can get toilet paper, um, and about the only thing that was on the shelves at one point was uh, raisins. Yeah, <laughs> you can literally go into any supermarket and buy raisins. Um, our, our problems actually were, were 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 the opposite. We we 
because of the pandemic um, and because we're, we're importing from around the world, um, China shut down their ports. Yeah, so that led to um, the uh, blockage in terms of um, shipping containers around the world. We literally couldn't get enough product into the country to ship out to supermarkets. So the, we, we saw, what, 30% uplift in sales. Uh, our, our margin suffered because the cost of, of bringing goods in increased tremendously. I mean, look four times as much, cost four times as much to bring in a shipping container from the US now than it did two years ago. Yeah. Um, so profit margin suffered. Sales went up and actually our service levels took a nosedive because we just literally couldn't supply um, the goods that people wanted. Um, so it's li- we, we, were, we were just supplying what we could get in. And, and, that's, and that was the, the challenge for us is, is trying to juggle all of those things, trying to juggle customer expectations um, with uh, really bad supply issues. And, and your customers were, were still the same customers. It was still kind of the supermarkets and things like that. Yeah, that's it. Um, so so the, the supermarkets did well as well throughout the, the, the COVID, um, uh, you know, in terms of, in terms of sales. Um, and yeah, that, that, so our, our customer base didn't change. There, there was no, yeah. there was no, there was no movement in that front. Um, but it was very, very busy, and and then obviously you you had the uh, staff challenges that that came with it as well. Yeah. So, um, but food industry as well was then exempt from the the working from home yeah. to an, an extent. So what what you found was our admin teams were uh, three days home, two days in the office, and but the um, the, the the operations were still running uh, five to seven days a week, depending. Yeah. Um, but then. Again, you, the, half the time you, somebody would get COVID, and then it would take out a whole bank of people. So, yeah, it's it, it was it's, it was quite a difficult time. But mostly through um, the, the the problem we had was was being able to maintain and keep up with production and and um, and customer demand. Yeah. Okay. No, I was, I was curious about that the customer thing yeah. just because I, I know someone that works in the in the biscuit industry. And they said that their direct consumer sales went through the roof. Um, and that was something that they just weren't really prepared for at that point in time. But, um, Ian, you, you're, um, you were in, in pork, shall we say, all the way through the, the COVID period. So how did that impact you? How did, you know, what, what did it look like for you? Yeah. I mean, I can mirror to a certain degree what, what Jonathan's just said. Um, you know, when first lockdown hit, people weren't going out anymore. They were staying at home. And therefore, they were ordering a lot of food by the supermarkets. So supermarkets did really well. We're a direct supplier to two, two of the major supermarkets. So, so we, as a result, our sales increased dramatically. Uh, now, we are a business in Linton where we've got about 130 different what we call SKUs, which is, which is essentially products. Um, we have got quite a lot of small lines in terms of SKUs. Uh, we do kind of specialist stuff for, uh, for waitresses in particular. And in order to meet demand, we had to reduce our number of SKUs. So we had to reduce down the number of products that we were selling just so that we could meet demand. And demand skyrocketed. So we're looking at kind of double the sales that we had before. You know, if you think about what people are going to eat when they're at home, they kind of revert back to the staples. So sausages is, is going to be something that people are going to buy. Um, they, they, they pretty much doubled in terms of our sales. 
Um, and, and that brought with it kind of almost this, um, I don't know whether the word patriotism, but that's, you know, kind of very, very lo- loyal um, employees to the brand, essentially, or to, to, to our business. Essentially, we're kind of feeding the nation to a certain degree. Everyone's buying sausages. Everyone needs sausages. We need to be in. We need to be working hard to produce those sausages. And we had the same challenges that Jonathan had. had. If someone, someone is unfortunate enough to get COVID, the team goes down. And, and that then gives rise to, OK, how do we manage around that? Because the, the demand is still there. You know, the orders that we still want to try and meet our service level, we still want to feed the nation, as we, we were saying it. And how do we do that when we have to rotate teams and things like that? So um, we, we ended up kind of coming out of the first lockdown as a kind of very proud team. We were able to do that. We were able to meet the demand of the pandemic, despite the fact that the, the volumes doubled. We were obviously having to cover with overtime. We we're having to cover with Sunday working, etc. Um, but yeah, so a huge impact in the short term um, in terms of um in terms of managing the pandemic that happened again with the, with the following lockdowns albeit not quite such a, a large degree uh, but it also helped us in terms of looking at what was the best way of being more efficient so we did look at hang on we're losing or we, we took some SKUs out when we bring them back can we bring them back in a more efficient way can we actually in some cases maybe not bring them back because it's not not cost effective to have so many so many products so yeah yeah it brought about uh, a a, a great a great impact for us as a company if you like because it, it was that kind of passion for feeding the nation and then it brought about potentially some economies of uh, of scale if you like by taking products out to try and make our our, our organization more um yeah more efficient cool i i i, I yeah i i love that idea of of people that are kind of celebrating the fact that they're feeding the nation and they think it's something that I think all of us became aware of over over that period is that you know the the unsung heroes that actually you know keep our lives together um, are the people that deliver food are the people that make food um, are, are you know the people that look after us when we're sick and I, I think also you know kind of going back to kind of so Perry's customers I think that we realise the value that we put on. Um, restaurants and leisure and going out when we weren't able to do it and that's something that you know, I think hopefully as we come, we've come out of that we've kind of actually rediscovered our love for many of those things now I'm going to quickly go to, to James on this question I know James you, you weren't with with Rossi you, you hadn't bought Rossi when we went into the pandemic but you've kind of seen us as we kind of brought back come back to life so what would your I guess you know reflections if you have any on, on that period be um well, I, I know what was going on. So basically, um, and my farm, Marsh Farm, which is like a visitor attraction, we had a big barn at the front, which was a gift shop that people exited through. Um, and no one was coming to Marsh Farm because they wasn't allowed to. And so I decided to turn that into a farm shop. And um, we wanted to get as much local produce in as possible, plus all of our commercial kitchens. So we in about a million and a half quid's worth of food a year from breaks and individuals um, and then resell it in all of our restaurants um, and so we had all this pasta we had all these toilet rolls um, and they were all commercial stuff so I thought well we'll just sell it and we opened a drive-through like a McDonald's drive-through farm shop um, it went really well one of the things we wanted to sell was ice cream so I rang at Rossi and I said, uh, we'd like to buy all your ice cream, please. And they said, uh, we've closed the factory. And what? The only thing people are doing right now is eating. 
why have you closed the factory? I mean, they literally turned everything off. Um, and I said, all right, well, once you decide to reopen the factory, um, we would like a massive big order, please. Um, and we did place a big order. And then when it got here, only about 20% of it came up. So I rang them again and I said, what's going on? Where's all of our order? They said, they're the only flavours we've made so far. I said, all right, okay. I said, can you just sort this out or let me buy the ice cream company? This was all in jest. I said, can you just sort it out or I'll come in and sort it out for you? And they went, yeah, that's not such a bad idea. And that conversation got me in trouble. Um, and then I went and bought this ice cream company and um, – and then we got things rocketing. Um, but we, we we did have some of the COVID hangover uh, when we was in there. But I actually am not so worried about COVID uh, professionally now for our whole business. I'm worried about the next two years way more, way more uh, than coronavirus from a food manufacturing point of view. Okay, and, and that's kind of what the, the bit that I, I, I kind of want to go on to. Now, I'm going to stay with you, James, if that's all right, because yeah. the, the, the issues that I, I'm hearing from every business and it's not just in food it's in every single business that, that i encounter are um the, the cost pressures that they're feeling yeah. now and I, I kind of want to look at it in two in kind of two different kind of buckets if you like is you know, first the, the the cost of the stuff that you use whatever you do whether yeah. it's construction but for you guys i guess it would be your butter that you're buying and the prices you're going up and i heard one 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 client i've got told me that they were sweating over the the cost of cardboard because it, it's kind of gone up about tenfold for the cardboard yeah. that they need and you know that's just something that they pack their product in and then the other thing is you know, the labor market because you know wages we saw minimum wage increases but there are demands for increases over and above that national insurance increases uh, and something that a few um people in the food industry that i know are dealing with is um the, the impact that we're still feeling from brexit with um kind of overseas workers no longer being able to come and work in the food industry particularly in farming and things like that which is you know overall just pushing prices up so you know first of all are you feeling that and you know what does it look like and, and how are you able to manage it Absolutely, we're feeling it. I mean, we have a payroll of about £750,000 per month um, uh, across our businesses. We, I mean, here's my views on this in the broad. I'm I'm not just talking about our ice cream business. You know, I talk about the whole thing here. Um, The labour market's going to change. I think there is going to be, this is in my opinion, um, a lot more staff available within the next six months because I think businesses are going to cut their cloth. Um, I'm speaking to lots of business owners uh, through my role in Entrepreneurs University and all the stuff I do in the entrepreneurship space. Business owners are seriously concerned. Um, Their utilities are getting out of control. So what's going to happen is people are just going to work their teams harder with less people. Um, So this whole situation of we can't employ people I, I honestly think we're going to see quite big redundancies and cost cutting processes by all businesses over the next 12 to 24 months and indeed we are planning that now as a business um it's absolutely not what i want to do but you know we've you know i'm just thinking about rossi you know it's utilities bills are going to go up 60 grand a year for the next year you know if what I always work out in our business, if something costs us 60,000, we need to times it by 10 in revenue to pay that bill. Um, so we need to bring in another 600K just to pay the extra 60K electric or 
cut our cloth by 60k to just be on an even kiln um we are then in the process of trying to cut out as many middlemen as possible which we've always done as a business you know we do our own printing and um we do our own marketing we build our own websites uh, we do our own maintenance we do our own accounting in-house yeah we've always been that and i think there is no room for middlemen um in the modern economy because people can always find the source much easier uh, you know, we, we've got our own factory in India that makes all of our uniforms and all of our uh, teddy bears in a, one of our businesses. But we're looking at how we can make our own packaging and opening our own factories in the Far East so that we cut out that 15% margin that those agents will be putting on. We're a company that brings in a 40-foot container a week for various things in our businesses. I was talking to the, the man earlier from Whitworth, uh, you know, you're saying that your container price is times four from America, which times 10 from the Far East east um you know one of the things that we while we moved to india was because freight was half the price of china um but the problem is you know we're, we're trying to get away from the china lockdown situation but 50 percent of india's raw materials guess where they come from china so you know like wherever we try and get away from you know because china you know they're just locking down all the time and causing all the shipping problems so yeah we have all those things um i'm you know i'm not i'm not excited about the next 24 months if you'd asked me 12 months ago i said yeah coronavirus is going to over i think it's gonna be like the roaring 20s there's an abundance of cash um like swelling up in people's personal bank accounts they're going to spend it like gangbusters you know i had all of those thoughts and then within 12 months i'm seeing a weak pound what i would really you know, people are having a go at me about this. I'm like, we need to shoot interest rates up, although that's going to cost me maybe another 100 grand a year on the interest on our commercial mortgages. We own quite a lot of commercial property. Um, but I'd much rather have higher interest rates and a stronger pound because that's usually the quid pro quo when that happens because then all of our importing costs will go rocketing down if we have a stronger pound, which means everything that people are spending day to day will feel way more than if their mortgage goes up by 50, 100, 150 quid. Uh, a month so i am a, a concerned business owner i am thinking about it all the time and actually the challenge is i think we're pretty resourceful we're pretty entrepreneurial as a company i actually don't really know how to deal with it all if that's the honest uh, you know I, I don't know how much we can cut our cloth i don't know how much i can moan about turning lights off and you know us being mega frugal which is one of our cultural statements you know I, I don't know how much I want to push people to not enjoy their lives because they've got to work 10 times harder. Um, yeah, I think there's some challenges to come for sure. I, I, I feel all of those pressures as a, as a business owner here in, in that uh, you see every cost is going north. Um, and I, I've got a team here that are incredible at what they do. And yeah. I don't want to push them to a breaking point where they're forced to leave or they get sick. Um, and it, it is a fine tightrope. And then at the other end, and we'll come on to it in a minute, the, the, um, you know, there's a limit to the amount of money I can charge a customer. Well, now and, that, was my, that was going to be my final yeah. closing point. Like, <laughs> and I literally sent an email to our 1,000 employees across the whole group last night saying that we've got to be careful. We've got to, and the last paragraph is, I just don't think we can keep on adding it on to our customers. So what's going to happen is our margins have got to get squeezed and we've got to become more efficient. I don't want that to fall out of my mouth, but I think, you know, scowl, um, 
you know, we want to make a great product. We want to deliver great products, but you know, we've got to do it with less GP and have costs going up. I mean, is that right? I mean, the other thing is as well, you know, we're tying up cash in stock way more than I want to, because that just in time palaver that we was used to for decades is just out the window now, you know, so we're buying two years worth of packaging. Um, one of our big customers is born leisure. They, they own havens and butlins. They spend like 120 grand a month with us some months on um, certain lines that we do. Um, and they're buying more and more and aggressively because more and more are staycating. So they're using more and more products and services from us. So we're tying up cash but here's the big problem here's the big problem when we buy something from the far east when it was just in time i would put the cash out turn it back into cash in 90 days now i'm putting the cash out and sometimes not turning it back into cash for nine months so i've never gone to the bank and said hey can you support us on like a trade facility line we've always used our own cash flow because it comes back round. um born leisure that you know or asda or a supermarket would pay us within 60 days and you know it all you know we we could cope with it because it was doing enough direct to consumer stuff that would provide us with regular strong cash flow we're using all of that up now and our buffers are disappearing because we're waiting nine months to turn our cash back into cash or we call it cash back into cash in our business so that's really stressful not because we haven't got the people who want to buy it from us we've got plenty of demand um, but then we need we're going for another bigger warehouse more cost more business rates just to store stuff because if we don't have ingredients and packaging like, like sugar and dextrose you know when you're making ice cream you use dextrose which makes it more scoopable can't get dextrose this week we ran kent foods and loads of big supplies but yeah we, we've got none there's none in the country None in the country, and and so now we're we're pre-ordering, and they're like, yeah, you can only do pallets at a time because we're not sure how much we're going to get. I mean, that's a like a crucial ingredient to making ice cream. So they're just you know a flutter of the problems we've got. Thanks, James. And when we when we teach students about just-in-time stock management, yeah, all the things that you talked about are things that we say that you know things that either have to be in place for just in time to work in terms of you know uh, good trade links where you can order something and know exactly when it's going to arrive and there are no holdups. You know we talk about the positive impact that just in time has on your working capital, and when you can't employ it, your working capital, as you described, goes from what three months, ninety days up to nine months. So massive changes, and you know the biggest one is that if there's any holdups, your business grinds to a halt. And you've just exactly described that where there's a hold up in you know, a type of sugar that you're using. So it's it's almost like a case study of, you know, of, of all of those things that we talk about. What, why just in time is good, but also what the the the, the warning signs are should you decide to use it. Um, Ian, I'm going to move to you because I know that you, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about some of this before. So what's your experience with those kind of cost pressures that, that you're feeling at the moment? Or maybe maybe pork is immune to it. No, it's certainly not immune. Um so um yeah i mean ours is a slightly different uh, picture to uh, to what they um your previous guest has just said uh, if you think about our business uh, it's split into you know producing a product essentially split into five different areas meat ingredients packaging labor distribution and then there's overheads outside of that so for all of those things without any any differential there's been inflation so um from a meat point of view um Obviously, this comes originates from a pig, and a pig is is has feed as part of its part of its cost. If you like, you only need to look at any commodity market to see that prices of feed have shot up post pandemic, and also as a result of the war in Ukraine. 
Um, from an ingredients point of view, you've got the same thing. A lot of it's led by commodity price inflation. Packaging, um, packaging is as, as rocketed up everywhere. I get an email uh, almost every other day from our packaging our procurement, central procurement team that will tell me something else that's gone up, 5%, 10%, et cetera. Keeping up with that, keeping track on that is, is very difficult. Um, and from a labour point of view, partly partly down to the pandemic, but more, more around Brexit. And you've said it yourself in your opening remarks in terms of um, overseas labour has slowed down as a result of Brexit. It's very difficult to get hold of staff um, in order to keep, to keep the lines running. We've done a lot of work in terms of automating and trying to take labour out so that we don't have to try and go into the labour market because it's so difficult to recruit. And with, with distribution, you've, you've got inflation as well. So every element of our, of our product uh, in our direct costs, if you like, every element is, is going up by various degrees. And yeah, we have then got to go into the, 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 the huge difficulties of how we explain this to our, our, our customers and how we pass those costs on to our customers. So that's been a huge, a huge challenge. We've got good relationships with our customers, but no customer wants to take a, a price increase. And ultimately, that's going to then get potentially passed on to a consumer. And so our customers have got, our, or the retailers have got a difficult decision as to what they need to do once they are, have full sight of our costs. So yeah, it, it's been it's been challenging post pandemic, but yeah, more around the inflation that we're seeing and how we pass it on. That's our biggest challenge. Yeah, so, okay. So it, it's not just the food industry; it's every industry that I speak to that that, that is a concern. Um, and yeah, it's. I, I mean, I just do want to confirm that um, when you said that you've got problems with um, with kind of like labour, attractive labour you are going to prioritise the pigs in blankets for Christmas, aren't you? <laughs> of course we are, David. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're already... Oh, and John, that John, would be one shortage We're already producing for Christmas and freezing for Christmas. You know, the, the Christmas cycle starts at the moment for us around about May time. So in May, you're producing goods that you're going to be selling over Christmas? Yeah, yeah. That's just craziness. That, that, that to me sounds crazy. Yeah, see, it's, it's, it's almost you have three, four months off of, of non-Christmas related stuff, and then it's Christmas for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay, good stuff, Jonathan. You fruit and nuts. We don't we don't grow many uh, um, kind of cashew nuts in the UK or, or things like that. So I'm assuming everything that you're bringing in is from overseas. So um, you know, my, my gut feel is that you're feeling that that price pressure even more so than the other guys that may be able to source things in the uk or am i wrong there uh yeah well i mean this is the, the the freight costs uh having a having an impact but um i think as um was it james said uh, the 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 strength of the pound isn't helping either i mean we we um we we buy a lot of dollars so a lot of our transactions take place in dollars and and we 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 forward purchase as well, so so that helps. But the um, I for example, uh, I, uh, just just a rough rough numbers in terms of raw materials for one of our one of our customers. The um, the impact of the dollar movement versus the cost of their raw materials for the last quarter of this the last quarter of this um, this year is. £825,000, right? So just their normal raw material cost has increased by £825,000, just literally because of the, the movement in the um, pound-to-dollar rate. And that's when that's excluding movements in freight costs, anything else. It's just 
sheer uh, rate movement from that we the, the last time we bought dollars for them was uh, 138. We and um, they just secured three months at 125. Um, uh, and the the it's uh, <laughs> the inflationary pressures. I mean, the, 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 we're in a, a highly commoditized market, so the the each and every individual commodity has has a different market forces that I, I, I mean it's, it's not just covid it's not it's not just freight i mean you you have um you have a, a bad winter one year you, you you'll find the cost of prunes will skyrocket like we did like like it happened last year i mean prunes used to cost two thousand dollars a ton yeah, then I might go in for about $5,000 a ton. So I don't know if you're a, a, an avid purchaser of prunes or not, but <laughs> <laughs> if you were, yeah, you'd be feeling it in your pocket right now. Um, and the, the, um, with, with our own label customers, I mean, we, we, we enter into pricing agreements in for, to, to be tender for a period of time. And, and as a company, in order to mitigate risk, we, we lock things back to back. So we will buy, we will, we will secure the crop at a price and we will secure um, and, and we will secure the the the, um, the dollars or, or the euros or whatever we're buying it in at a price for the for the length and period of that contract um, so that's how we that's how we try and mitigate and minimize risk so the one of the reasons why in my opinion one of the reasons why the the, the prices haven't just suddenly hiked up in the supermarkets is because where you've got products coming in from abroad, most most of the suppliers are actually entering into those kind of agreements and they're longer term. So those will go on for a year or two years. What's happening now is our customers are coming in to, to it's taken us six months, six months to lock down a new agreement on prunes with one of our with one of our customers because simply because of price. Yeah, um, they said we don't want to pay that, and we said, well, we, that's that's what we can supply that. And in that six months, we finally agreed a price with them, and the price that we've agreed with them is fifty percent higher than what we offered it to them at Christmas. Yeah, I mean, it is lit. It's only going one way, and by holding out, all they're doing is prolonging the agony and creating bigger price rises for the end consumer. Right. Okay. So, so I mean, that that's quite a scary thought in the, you know, we are being shielded from the full impact of those price rises because larger businesses and suppliers to the market, the suppliers to the supermarkets have been able to forward buy. And there's, you, you can only forward buy a certain, a certain period of time. And yeah. at some point, your next load of forwarding buying is going to, forward buying is going to be at a much, much higher rate. And yeah, yeah w- without wanting to make a pun, we're going to have to swallow that price increase at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to, you're going to find raisins to be, become quite an expensive commodity, I would think. Well, actually, I, I like raisins are getting cheaper. But, um, but yeah. But yeah. Any, any prune lover should be stocking up now. And, to and I, I, on. I, the, the one you want to watch out for is if you, if you like pesto, that's, yep. that, that will go up in price because it's made from pine nuts. Yeah. Pine nuts have gone from $20,000 a tonne from a, a year to a year and a half ago. Now thirty thirty-five thousand dollars a ton, and Lovely. so if you, if you combine just that underlying price increase, yeah, then add on the fact that it's all traded in dollars to to the British, and then also you have to 
you know, you know, they're imported, pine nuts are either imported from China to the Far East or um, well, mostly from, from those areas. Um, so you've got the freight costs on top of it. You're looking at pesto next year, if it's £2 a jar, will be £5 a jar. Blimey. Yeah. yeah. So we, again, we're, we're not, so you're, you're there kind of indicating, saying, well, you know, we, we think we've got inflation now and it's still, it's baked into the system mm. that we're going to continue to have that inflation well into next year because, yeah. you know, of, of, this is what we're buying at. So that, that's quite a scary thought. But, and yeah, quite a sobering thought, really, because, yeah. you know, for, for me, I look at it, I look at it and mm. think that you've got a, a lot of inflation that's been driven by, you know, oil prices and the issues in Ukraine and things like that. And you kind of think that, that if, if some of those things can start easing, then you're going to start to see oil prices come down and other things come down. But, you know, we could be looking at at least another, what, six to 12 months yeah. in the current position and that before we see anything unwind. And, and, and that's, just, that's just talking about raw materials and freight. We haven't touched upon, the, like you mentioned, the oil crisis, the, the, the war in Ukraine, that's driving up plastic packaging costs on top of plastic packaging tax, which is coming in as well. Um, or came in this year. Then you have extended producer responsibilities with regards to packaging, which will drive up more yeah. more cost into the business. And then you've got inflation, labour rates. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's not um, it's not a rosy view of the future that I've got at the moment. The uh, <laughs> although I did attend uh, a Bank of England um, uh, a Bank of England um, monetary policy. Uh, meeting a, a couple of months ago and where it was the, the the first month where we hit nine percent inflation and um what was really interesting is that three percent of the nine percent of inflation in that in that period in that month was driven by uh the price of used cars yeah yeah right because because we couldn't get um new cars into the country or we couldn't manufacture them to deliver them the price of used cars went up considerably and that had a massive impact just on the underlying inflation level in this country mm. so i think when you start breaking some of those things out you can you can start to become a little bit more comfortable about yeah. a longer term view but with um with the uncertainty currently in the world yeah i don't know how comfortable you can get yourself yeah yeah, yeah. Perry, you are going to say something really cheerful now, aren't you? That's going to make everything seem brilliant. Bloody, and tell me uh, that uh, uh, cheese prices uh, are, are flat. <laughs> I, bl- I bloody hope so. Doom and gloom, eh? You know, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose I, I could take it at a, um, a, a different angle. You know, I suppose a lot of people will be uh, partaking in nut-free pestos in the future. I suppose you know, and that 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 market is something everyone needs to invest in. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're different economies of scales to you other guys, you know, um, you know, so, so, so for us as a small independent business, we've always maintained really strong relationships with our restaurants. Um, you know, and I'm not saying you, you guys don't, it's just, we have a pretty much one-to-one uh, interaction with them and we have done for, you know, uh, you know, many, many years, and we've always, always known how much we need to earn to do what we need to do. Um, we're not greedy. We're we're honest with our pricing, borderline transparent of where we'll be with our customers. 
and the kind of our, our mission statement to support British artisan cheesemakers, um, you know, their families and people, and you can Google anyone, to find out who they are. So people understand the price increases. And I'm very strict whenever I start dealing with a new cheesemaker, you know, that old term, you only get to skin a cat once, you know, um, I, I want their pricing to be honest. I want to know what, you know, what it's about and, and, and how it's going to affect them and the increase and the, the decreases. Um, uh, and we've always had that really honest relationship with our cheese producers and, you know, and our customer base gets it. Um, and that doesn't make any easier. It doesn't, but um, there's a big family idea behind that, which people are far more, um, accustomed to to receiving and in this market people you know there's always that old thing i think i remember in the last recession that two markets happen you know the yeah the the people that you know buy sandwiches for a pound and people that buy it for eight pounds and you just got to make sure that when people are spending money on your artisan cheese that is one of the best food experiences they're gonna have that week or that year and there has to be real value in what what they get. Um, yeah, and, and outside of that, mitigating those costs, you know, we're an affineur, so we bring cheese in when it's younger. So there's a benefit to the farm. You know, I take 50 to 125 kilo wheels off them. There's That's 100 extra cheeses they can make and sell. You know, they're created money just like that. There's a hundred extra cheeses. They don't have to brush, turn, wash, whatever. I tie that cost up all up here. Um, and so we're, we're supporting them in that. So they've got a hundred extra cheeses that they can sell and, and make more money out of. And obviously I get a price incentive for doing that, but there's more costs for me on that. Um, you know, logistically and operationally, I suppose, it's that understanding with our customers to look at, you know, reducing our you know from a green perspective as well reducing our, our, our mileage to delivering to our customers being more logistically sound and speaking to them about you know how can we reduce your order days so there's less mileage less you know um and that's been really successful for us and it, it's tough for the guys it, it really is tough for, for for the chefs to manage that but um we understand there's customers who have tiny fridges and there's people that have larger space and we tend to target those people and have an open and honest conversation with them because we want all our increases to be focused on um, on the food cost rather than the business cost. Um, and the more that we can mitigate that, the better. Excellent. Excellent. And, that, and I guess from your perspective, whereas Jonathan said he was, you know, he's he's forward buying. And so he's he's you know buying yeah. stuff already for six twelve months time. You're going directly to a farmer and buying stuff at that point in time and taking it off him right away. So you know, yeah. whereas Jonathan's looking forward and saying, "Oh my God, I've got these headaches coming up in two years' time," you actually would feel the impact of the price rise today. And so if prices start to start to drop in twelve months mm. time, Jonathan may not feel that straight away, but hopefully. Yeah you would feel kind of like an easing of some of that, those price increases earlier. So, you know, guess what I'm saying is that English cheeses could become, you know, come down in price slightly before prunes do. Yeah. Um, and you like, like there's two types of products, obviously the things that I mature, 
yeah. and the things that I finish and and that whatever that spectrum is, 12 months to two months to one month. So, you know, some cheese are mature for 12 months. So they're living in the past, those cheeses mm-hmm. on the cost. You know, it's a similar yeah. kind of forward of buying t- type, of, type of thing. Um, but, um, you know, it is challenging for everyone and I, fe- and I feel it. But, you know, when you're getting into the artisan fine cheese kind of world, you know, people really want to be blown away by by that. And when they do decide to treat their self, you, you bloody better make sure that they feel it, you know. Yeah. And that's where the effort comes in on the affinage, you know, the supporting paperwork, the tasting notes, the one-to-one interactions with me when I'm in the maturing rooms. They could call up, FaceTime me, and I'll be standing next to the cheese they're going to buy. Mm. It's just that hyper. We've always been hyper customer service. Um and just trying to help them as much as possible. I think we, we envisioned this ha- happening. We got the early tremors and we were talking about our chefs about, you know, kind of like the trio that you can do, which is, you know, shrinkflation, reduce your portion size, yeah. charge what you charge and be open and honest about it. Or, um, or the other one, consolidate into a ginormous conglomerate, you know, mm. go with big bulky cheddars that's imported from all the place and lose half your customer base because your quality's gone. Mm. And they're your options. Uh, and, you know, thankfully, our, our customers are great and they really care about quality and British produce and um, and they're staying the course. Mm. I, I, I love what you said there about how, um, about how if people are going to spend money on a premium product, then mm. you need to blow their minds. And, yeah. you know, uh, you know I, I've always found because, you know, I discovered you through the pandemic and I, I, I'm not a, a monthly subscriber because apparently my wife says I need to lose some weight. But you oh. know, <laughs> when it's when it's my birthday month, when it's Christmas, when I want a bit of a treat, it will be right. I really fancy a lovely, delicious cheese box and I will really enjoy it. And, you know, I, I will go there. And I guess that, you know, if you've got that, then, yeah, people might not have as many special occasions that the, yeah. the, they may have had before, but they're still going to go somewhere that they trust and they know, which I, I guess kind of brings me on to the, the next kind of area that I wanted to talk about. And um, we talk quite a lot in kind of accountancy exams about the, the, the power that having a brand has. And, you know, we, we talk about if you, you know, if you, if you have a brand that people know and love and trust, that gives you protection um, uh, uh, you know, against other pressures. Whereas if you don't have a brand, it's slightly more challenging, you know, particularly in times like this. And we've seen recently, we saw actually, I saw a news story on the BBC website uh, yesterday about Heinz, where Heinz have pulled their products from Tesco shelves uh, um, because they can't agree a price. And that makes front page news of the, the BBC website. I've seen it on numerous other websites as well. And, you know, you're looking at it thinking, where am I going to get my ketchup from? I'm not going to Tesco anymore. I'm going to go to another, uh, I'm going to go to Sainsbury's. I'm going to go to, to Asda or somewhere else because they've got those products. And uh, I think Unilever did it a few years ago where they pulled Marmite from everywhere and said, oh no, we're not going to be stocking Marmite anymore or we're not going to supply Marmite because they won't meet our price ones. And those kind of brands, I think I've got that ability. Um, and it's a question that was also kind of asked by one of our, our guests in the chat box. So you know, how do you guys manage the relationship with those those you know big customers that that you know you've got huge deals with where you are asking them and talking about price and things like that so Ian I can see you've come off mute there yeah not deliberately so um but yeah I mean for for us um we we um we, we originated as a supplier to just one one supermarket so we didn't have a brand as such 
Um, and now we're in, we're in two supermarkets. So we're still kind of playing in, in a no brand um, situation. And if you think about pork products, first of all, you don't often find a branded pork product. It's a pork chop. It's normally, a, 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 let's say, a Tesco or a, or a yeah. Sainsbury's pork chop or something. You, you don't have branded pork chops. Um, and for sausages, for us, we are predominantly own label. Um, so I guess the question isn't for, for me isn't so much about brand. It's about how you differentiate. And I think I said from the outset, from a, a point of view of one of our retailers, we play on free range, a free range uh, product, free range pig. We play on organic. Uh, we play on outdoor bread as well. And red tractor, those kind of things are what we're looking at in terms of trying to differentiate ourselves away from 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 what is quite a boring pork aisle, really. Yeah. From a sausages point of view, yeah, there are one or two brands out there. But from a port point of view, they're quite, they're quite, quite boring. And the other thing that we also look at is being a bit more funky with things like when barbecue season comes in, let's do something a bit different in terms of flavours, in terms of what it looks like. And then from an easy to cook point of view, so we also do kind of like ready meal kind of things or things that are fairly easy to just shove, shove in the oven. So again, playing with different flavours and stuff like that. But no, our, our business isn't really brand brand dominated. It is something that we're considering, but it's not something that we're we're working heavily on right now. Yeah, I, I, that's almost a textbook answer, isn't it? it it's the, you know, in in order to be able to maintain margins and maintain competitiveness, um, it, there can only be one producer really that is that, that competes solely on driving their costs down. In order to to maintain some kind of competitive advantage, you need to be in some way different. And yeah. you know, if if you don't have brands because you know you haven't had the you know the, the hundred or so years or however long it is that Heinz has been around to build that brand you've then got to somehow find some other difference and whether it is looking at organic whether it's looking at grass-fed whether it's looking at some kind of you know premium statement on your products I think that yeah it is it, exactly what the textbooks would say that we do and um, Jonathan I know that you, know, you you definitely have a better brand I would say than than Ian's pork products because um, I, I don't see uh, uh, <laughs> it's frowning slightly at me there. In terms of, you know, as Ian said, he doesn't really have a brand to to associate yeah. with a pork chop. Because I never buy a pork chop based on brand. But you guys have got brands. Do you find that that has got a a, a degree of a kind of a kind of power, if you like, when you are dealing with those those big multiples? I I I I think the likes of Heinz because they're massive Coke. They they have a certain degree of power and sway, yeah, with with um, uh, major retailers, yeah, and they're, they're multinationals. They have, um, the the you have to reach a certain size to to be able to pull the stunt like Heinz has, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think many brands are really in that um, in that position now. You, you you can you can create a loyal customer base and and people will want to buy your your goods and and that's all about product differentiation yeah mm-hmm. it's about like has been said having the best possible products then you can charge premium for it you can put your brand on it and and people will want to buy it because it's great and that gives you a certain degree of leverage and leeway yeah um but it's it's the, you only have to look at discount supermarkets. Yeah, they must sell millions of crisps a year and don't have any walkers. Yeah, 
And so, you know, Walkers or Heinz or whatever, pulling their products out of, out of the likes of Aldi or Lidl, they're not going to bat an eyelid. They'll just find an own label producer and put that in and carry on. And actually, the people who are losing out are the, are the customers because they get a lack of choice and the, and the, the companies themselves because they're, they're cutting themselves off from a market. Um, it's, it's, I, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a brave game. Yeah. Um, and it's a brave company that will pull their, um, pull their products out of a, out of a, a, a large retailer, um, on the basis of uh, inability to pass through price increases. Especially when you consider that branded products do attract a premium and, um, and we're, we're going through a, a cost of living crisis. And, mm-hmm. and actually, despite the, um, you know, everyone's experience of supermarkets and, and, and difficulty in getting away price increases and all the rest of it. But they, 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 the, the, um, the retailers are on the front foot with this by saying we're going to try really hard not to pass that, those increases on to the customer. So where, whereas you would, you, you would want um, sympathy on your side, yeah, in, in, that, um, in those negotiations, you, you kind of, they, they're kind of taking that power away from the brand. Yeah, mm. brand brand is about perception. Yeah, um, so I think I think that, that, that they're playing they're playing a very chancy game, is my view. I think think that they they know that they're going to be back in there, don't they? And I think it's yeah. just a bit of brinksmanship in terms of yeah. you know who's going to blink first and where are they going to draw that line in the in the gap between the expectations of both parties? Because uh, I mean, it's exactly what happened with Marmite. Um, and, and I did. I know there's also an element of PR about it because you can guarantee yeah. that sales of ketchup are going to go up in all the other supermarkets purely because people yeah. are scared that there isn't going to be any ketchup around. Um, and, and as you know, someone mentioned in the chat, also their tomato soups rather good as well, um, but maybe not their other soups, as someone else has commented. Um, <laughs> James, where, where do you sit with, um, with with that kind of? discussion with with retailers and you know the, the you know we, we talked about Heinz having you know the power to be able to step out and say well you can't have our stuff until you pay the price um you mentioned a couple of things in initially you talked a bit about Rossi having a brand and I imagine that most people in Essex know that but I'm not convinced that you know everyone else knows it yet you also talked a lot about the the fact that you make real ice cream quality ingredients you talked about butter which automatically makes anything better. So um, there's also kind of an element of, you know, as Ian talked about, trying to produce some kind of differentiated quality product. So how do those things work for you when you are dealing with those kind of retailers? Oh, I think you're on mute there, James. Hello. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, <clears throat> I think it's really important if you're an SME business, and that's, a, in my view, a business up to 50 million of revenue. Um, our business does about 30 million of revenue a year as a group. Um, so, so we're a big SME, but we're not a, a Heinz um, that you were talking about earlier. The interesting thing about Heinz, just in my, you know, the majority shareholder of that is Warren Buffett, um, who's also one of the largest shareholders of American Express, of Coca-Cola. I always think this 
whatever you're doing every day, you always send Warren Buffett a little bit of money because he had and craft and all of it. Anyway, yeah. Um, so that was just me rambling on there about Warren Buffett. Um, we we would never be dictated by supermarkets if they didn't want to pay the price that we want to charge. Then we would just stop supplying them. And why do we have the confidence to do that? It's because we've built enough direct to consumer business. Yeah, we've got our own stores, um, and um, we would just look to grow more of that. And there's no point in doing stuff for little margin unless there is huge scale, which have obviously Heinz have got that huge scale. So we we wouldn't do anything just to have sales. Um, we want to be in the supermarkets, but we don't go knocking on their doors. We wait for them to come to us. And if it stacks up um, and, you know, I have to be, you know, we, we don't supply Tesco's, although we spoke to Tesco's recently i have to stick up for asda i have to stick up for morrison's and co-op although they're a nightmare to talk to and actually get through to speak to someone but they don't pay terribly um and they do accept our prices but i'm sure if we really ramped up sales with them i think they would come to us and say we want more discounts and lower prices but we'll just say well we'd rather not supply you then because uh we're not big enough to you know cash it you know just turn cash we want to make some margin out of it so that's very similar to the way that I see. I, I am a, you know, an owner of a small business as well, and it's you know, very much the same. I'd rather walk away from a bad deal than than enter in something purely for the, the vanity of the revenue. You've just got to make sure that you've got the confidence in other lines to be able to do that, and then they will come back to you, in my experience of running. But, but you've got to be able to go, if they know that, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with that Tesco and Heinz thing, because they're both got plenty of financial clout individually if you think about them globally i don't know i mean heinz is a just a massive organization and the uk is probably a tiny bit of their market compared to their global domination so um but i'm sure they'll meet in the middle eventually won't they yeah yeah i mean if, if you, there's there's this you know tesco I've got previous with um yeah, as I said a minute ago, with Unilever and Marmite a few years back, they also there was an issue with Colgate, where Colgate was pulled off the shelves for a while. I think for a while they had Andrex off the shelves as well because Andrex and, and, and Tesco's couldn't come to an agreement. And I think it's those brands that have got the power to do it can, but you know, as we, we've you know, talked with some of the other guys, if you don't have that brand, it's you can't play that game. And okay. you know, there's only a small number of people that can do it. Excellent. Um, I, I do want to ask a, a quick question, kind of away from the, um, the, I guess, away from the profit and loss account for, for a, a short period of time, and just look at the investments that you make in your businesses. So, you know, whether that is new plant, new machinery, whether that is new products and things like that, and just to kind of understand what process you go through or what tools you use to to actually determine if something is a good investment or not and i, I realize there's going to be a kind of a range of of different answers as to how things how, how how you manage them but um again i could see ian you've switched your microphone off almost as if you're eager to answer this question so it, ian it, it you said you'd invest in lots of plants at um in terms of you know manufacturing pork products so how do you decide on the investments you're going to make and then actually evaluate whether they're worth making yeah yeah it's very straightforward i mean in terms of the investments that we've made over the last few years generally they've been around sausage they've been around how do we either produce sausages more quickly uh, or produce them with fewer people on the line 
or produce them with cheaper ingredients. And so, yeah, it's it's a very straightforward kind of you know investment appraisal, as you'd imagine. What's the capex outlay? What am I going to get back over what period of time? And generally, you're looking at somewhere around a two year high, um, a two two year horizon for for payback, something like that. If it's less than two years, then generally it should be okay. If it's greater than two years, then you're going to have a a challenge putting that through. That that appraisal then gets pushed through, produced by uh, myself and the, and the factory managers, pushed through the management team within our site, and then pushed upwards to a capex committee to make a decision as to whether that, that's the one to go to go with. Um, they will see an array of different capex projects, from ones that are uh, revenue or margin generating to ones that are just required for health and safety reasons, etc. And they then have to make a decision on which ones they're going to say yes to and which ones they're not going to say yes to. Sometimes that decision will also come back to whether that site is doing doing well financially. So if we're having a good year, we might be more likely to get a capex through to than 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 otherwise. So that's the kind of the capex process. I suspect that is fairly typical of of a of a food company like so two like year ourselves. two year payback. Yeah, somewhere around a two-year payback. Yeah, we'd expect that, that, that capex outlay to come back within within around about two years. My gut feel is that to me sounds really quick. But yeah, I mean, I guess how, how what's the what's the, what's the if you're buying if I'm putting a new sausage machine in my garage, how long would that sausage machine run for before it needed replacing with a new one? Oh, I see. So so we've got machines of various and different age ages. So um, I, th- I think and I don't actually know and I should. I think our, our depreciation policy is over 10 years, right. um, but we've got machinery out there that will be older than that uh, with zero net book value, but will be in use. So um, if you, you've got a life of 10 years that you're, you're booking it in a 10 year life. Yeah. Um, but you're asking it to pay back within two. Yeah. So yeah. Effectively, you, you're saying that you're going to have eight years of, of free cash flow from it. After yeah. Yeah. You can look at that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. Okay. Okay. I mean, I mean, I, yeah. Two years is, is, you know, I, I'm always, I've talked to you about this before, and I'm always astounded at how short those payback periods are for, for, for some businesses, because, you know, I, when I make investments in, you know, in pieces of machinery and things like that, I'm looking at, you know, how long is it going to last over five years or something like that in terms of mm. when I look at costs. But um, I'm, I'm actually going to switch to uh, James, who's also got his microphone, because James, I've, I've seen your videos of you pulling your hair out over uh, over your capex at, at Rossi. So um, I guess it's a very different story from you because you came into a business that needed some work. But you know when you are looking at you know do i invest in a piece of machinery what's your you know your your thought process that goes on behind that um probably similar to what your brother just said i mean we want to see if it's going to grow revenue but now the the most big thing that we're looking at is it going to cut our labor bill and drive up efficiencies um so at the moment we make, we're looking at um, robotizing the whole of uh, the Rossi factory. So we make a 500 mil ice cream tub, a one liter and um, the little theater tubs, you know, that with the spoon and lid um, and Napoli's, which is what you would scoop in a leisure environment. Um, we hand make a big chunk of that or hand fill them, uh, should I say. And we do have a robot that makes the little pots. But um, we are looking to robotize the whole factory. It's about 350k investment. I want to see if our labor, so we're, well, we're deciding that um, and we're going to decide the next board meeting. We want to make sure that our labor bill is going to go down significantly for that investment. Um, when they go wrong, though, you need an expensive engineer to 
put them back together. And so that's why we want to buy four robots so that production doesn't stop when they go wrong. It's not if they go wrong, it's when they go wrong. Um, but it's, it's the efficiency. So we can make 120 Napoli's an hour with a team of four, um, you know, but we can make 850 with a robot an hour up to a 1200. So they tell us um, we're also looking at, you know, cutting down on um, boxing and manufacturing of robots that make all the, boxes all of that stuff but yeah so you know we got another million quid to spend but i want to see our revenues grow and our labor go down before we you know next do that excellent stuff um jonathan how about you okay um yeah the 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 business actually spent the last since 2016 um, undergoing extensive uh, capital investment. Yeah? So the, it's, it's an old business. A lot of the machinery was old. The factory was old. And we own the site, and it's a massive site, um, of which a fraction of it is actually used for warehousing. And, 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 and so it's very sprawling. So the, um, because what we're doing, we undergo regular audits from... Um, from, from retailers and independent auditors come in as well to check on. And, and at one point we, we were processing peanuts on site as well. So you, yeah, there, there's a lot of hygiene and, and quality audits that are taking place. So first and foremost, for, for as well as payback period efficiency, the, the um, we've spent about four million pounds just on site over the last four years. And, and that's in, building a new factory for, for the nut plant, um, re, completely revamping the cereal. And, and, but all of this is about investment for the longer term, for the future. Yeah? So it's, it's about having a, having a site that's fit for purpose um, for the longer term. So that means that actually, if we're audited now, it's always green. It's always, you know, it's always good. Yeah. Um, and, over the last couple of years, the, 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 our investments have been around improving efficiency, so being able to take down labour cost. Um, and so when, we're, when we were speaking earlier about the cost of inflation, the, the, um, well, one of the things that I, I, I um, the positive note that I should have ended on, yeah, is that any, <laughs> any business that's um, experiencing this, right, they, ultimately what, what will happen is that businesses adapt, survive and thrive. Yeah. Um, and the ones and the ones that can do that, the ones that can think on their feet and the ones that are investing in the right um, in the right areas and the right technology, they're the businesses that are going to carry it forward and they're going they're, they're the ones that are going to be able to maintain pricing structures. Um, so and that, and that's and that's that's where we're at. Right? I mean, we we yes we are looking at payback and we're looking at, at those kind of terms, but but actually it's for, for us, it's more about um, some of our investments lately have been in, in terms of looking at new, new packaging formats. Yeah. So looking at moving to paper bags, for example, for beans, pulses and cereals, so looking at um, using fully recyclable plastic packaging and what do we need to do to, to, to get that on the shelf. So imagine a, a plastic bag that you, you've got your lentils in that you can actually put in your normal plastic recycling. It's that, it's that kind of technology that we're looking at. And, and it's, those, it's those areas that will actually, it, and it's, it's difficult to quantify in terms of the value other than, 
well, you'll still have a business. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. People will still come to you, and yeah, and um, I, I, yeah, there, there, there are easy, easier things to um, to, to quantify payback periods. I don't say, yeah, look, they, they, this will improve our productivity. We can use like ten percent less people on the line, and it will pay back this much. And but, but actually, the vast majority of of our investment has been about um, actually, what does it give us? Yeah, longer term, what does it give us? And 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 what's the perception this builds for our business? Yeah. So I, I love that answer because it's something that we we often uh, or, or often discuss with students is um, you know why certain industries that we have had in the UK we no longer have, and in terms of kind of lots of the kind of traditional kind of light and heavy manufacturing that we did have in the UK that that gradually moved overseas, and you know we, we see a lot of that as as being businesses that didn't evolve and change because yeah. there are. There are countries that are equivalent to the UK in terms of their kind of infrastructure and economy that still have successful kind of like heavy heavy industry, and a lot of that's because they automated and made those investments because they weren't purely driven by a two-year payback or you know by achieving a certain return on investments or something like that. So you know, it's, uh, and exactly what you said, you know, if we don't make this investment, we won't be around. Not yeah. just you know, we need to make an investment. So I, yeah, I, I really like that, but. We are very much against time, so I, I'm aware now that I'm currently borrowing time from our guests that I, I didn't agree in advance. So I, I'm going to, have to kind of finish things up here. And I, I've just had an absolutely fascinating time with you guys. Uh, it's been absolutely brilliant. I've got a list of questions that I haven't gone through that, that if I had time to, I would absolutely love to. So, you know, there may well be a time in the future where I invite some of you back to go through some of those things because, yeah, I've had a brilliant time. But um, I'm just going to go through and just um, to, to kind of each guest in turn and just say if there's anything that you wanted to say or um, anything that you wanted to pass on, then um, I'm more happy for you to, to quickly say that. Um, I will put any links that you want to share in our um, show notes so that the listeners go out. So, um, first of all, um, because I missed you out in the last round of questions, Perry, Perry, how can we we get hold of you and find out more about about what you do yeah no worries i was feeling a little bit rejected there david you know <laughs> no um uh, you can catch us out uh uk. that's our website on our socials just google search rennet and rind and we'll come up obviously our big seller is a mystery cheese box buy one and uh delivered to your door qr code you can see me but uh we're a real friendly bunch here so if you ever want to ask anything about british artisans cheese artisans Honestly, just pick up the phone and we'd love to have a chat with you. Thank you very much, Perry. And as I said, I can 100% endorse um, your cheese boxes. I, I think they're absolutely phenomenal. Um, they are my go-to gift for any of my family that I don't know what to actually physically get them as a present. It's like a cheese box <laughs> goes down a treat with every one of my family that receives them. Um, James, um, obviously, if you're in South End, there is no other ice cream to eat other than Rossi's. But how, how else can people kind of keep in touch with what you do and, and what Rossi's are up to? Uh, you can get it on my YouTube channel. Just type in James Sinclair um, and you can see me there on YouTube. We've made over 600 videos documenting all the things we get up to in our business. Um, I also have a podcast called The Business Broadcast, where we coach business owners on how I would grow their business. Um, or you can follow Rossi at RossiIceCream.com. Excellent. Thanks for that. And I, I know from my own my own LinkedIn, it seems that Rossi is everywhere on LinkedIn at the moment. I, I think your branding guys there are doing a phenomenal job Thank in you. just raising awareness there. Um, Jonathan, how about you guys and Whitworths? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we're, we're, I think we're fairly active on social media. As you can probably guess, David, this isn't my area of expertise. <laughs> 
So, <laughs> um, but yeah, and we, we've we've got people that that that, that put content out all the time, that, and we we've got recipe ideas. I mean, we're we're, we're also um, investing in things like um, vegan foods, veganuary. We do a lot around that. We um, BPC. So yeah, just just uh, I, I'm if if you look me up on LinkedIn, I'm sure you'll be able to find the company, and and you'll find more more information. I, okay, John. I wish That's I had John a better Hayes answer for you at Whitworths, isn't it? Brilliant. Yes. And, and Ian, I'm going to come to you now, and I'm guessing the word veganuary fills you with dread where you are. So um, how can we find out more about what you guys are up to? It, it does a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same as Jonathan. I'm not, not really a, a marketeer. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't want to push any of my products. But there was one that I thought might be appropriate. Um, when Jonathan talked about prunes, um, your face didn't seem to light up like I might have expected it to. So there is a product that we sell uh, through Waitrose at Christmas time, which is prunes wrapped in bacon. So perhaps that's your entry level into, into prunes, David. I'll watch out for it. I can't promise that I'm going to have more than one because that will probably push a pig in blanket off the plate. Um, and I need to maximise the pigs in blankets that are going on my plate. So once again, thanks to all of our guests. I, I say I've been absolutely fascinated. Um, to all of the listeners out there, thank you so much for listening. And if you do have a moment, could you please leave a review or just um, leave a a star rating or whatever um, podcast service you use. And we will be back next week with our our normal kind of weekly podcast. Um, But um, until then, stay safe, everyone. And um, thank you very much. Bye.